0: How you doing? It's good to see you. My name is Wade Giffen. I have an honor. I have a privilege in my life and that is to be able to serve alongside you in ministry. It's a joy to be um, with you today. Um, as Pastor Kim has indicated, we are going to be talking about um, the fifth, if you're keeping score, of six uh, in no particular order. Uh, of our core values that we're embracing here at Trinity to help define who we are and what God is calling us to do. If you're following along, um, I'm going to be reading a a passage from the Gospel of Luke. I'll be in the 14th chapter. I'm going to read the first verse and then jump down to 7 through 14. Hear this good news about Jesus according to Luke. On one occasion when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, They were watching him closely. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. He says, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited you, uh, who invited both of you may come to you and say, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, and then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who have exalted themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." He said also to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and then you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is a word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Do any of you all know the name Fred Craddock? Does that ring a bell for you? Uh, Fred passed away really re- relatively recently, and he was a professor, a preacher. He was an author, kind of one of those big names in the Christian family. And he wrote about a story about when he was vacationing with his wife in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Y'all Any of y'all been to Gatlinburg? Yeah, well, that's I will tell you that's where our honeymoon was, so <laughs> that's all we could do as seminary students, right? So we wrote this story, and I'm going sum- to give you a little paraphrase of, of, of his story. He said, we were at dinner in a restaurant out from Gatlinburg near the small community of Cosby. We were in a rather new restaurant called the Black Bear Inn. It was very attractive, and we had an excellent view of the mountains. Early in the meal, he writes, an elderly man approached our table and said, Good evening. And I said, good evening. And he said, are you on vacation? And I said, yes, but under my breath, I was saying it's really none of your business. Where are you from, he asked. We're from Oklahoma. What are do you doing, in Oklahoma? Now under my breath, but almost audible, I was saying, leave us alone. We're on vacation. We have no idea who you are. Uh, Someone in our earlier service who was visiting from Tennessee said, Remember, this is Tennessee. (laughs) And I said to him, I am a Christian minister. And he said, What church? And I said, The Christian church. He paused a moment and then said, I owe a great deal to a minister of the Christian church. And he pulled out a chair and sat down. And I said, Well, won't you have a seat? I tried to act like I really sincerely meant it, but I wasn't really sure. I I didn't know this person. And then he began to tell a story. He said, I grew up in these mountains. My mother was not married. The whole community knew it. I was what was called an illegitimate child. And in those days, that was a shame. And I was ashamed. The reproach that fell on her, of course, fell also on me. When I would go into town with her, I could see people staring at me, making guesses as to who my father was. At school, the children said ugly things to me, so I stayed to myself during recess. I ate my lunch alone. He went on to tell the story. He said, when I was in my early teens, I began to attend a little church back in the mountains. It had a minister who was both attractive and frightening. Is that me? (laughs) He had a chiseled face and a heavy beard with a deep voice. I went to hear him preach, and I don't know exactly why, but it did something for me. However, I was afraid that I was not welcome. So I would go just in time for the sermon. When it was over, I would move out because I was afraid that someone would say, hey, what's a boy like you doing in a church? One Sunday, some people queued up in the aisle before I could get out and I got stopped. And before I could make my way through the group, I felt a hand on my shoulder and it was a heavy hand. It was that minister. I trembled in fear. He turned his face around so he could see mine and seemed to be staring for a little while. I knew what he was doing. He was trying to make a guess as to who my father was. And a moment later, he said, well, boy, you're a child of... And then he paused. I knew it was coming. I knew my feelings would get hurt. I knew I could never go back there again. He said, boy, you are a child of God. I see a striking resemblance in your face. And then he said, now go claim your inheritance. And the man says, I left the building a different person. In fact, it was really the beginning of my life. Craddock goes on to write about that experience. He said that he was so moved by the story, he had to know who this guy was. And he said, well, what's your name? And the fellow said, I'm Ben Hooper. And it was then that Craddock says he was he was remembering that his father used to talk about how the people of Tennessee had twice elected as their governor Ben Hooper. You see, Governor Hooper had carried around with him years of shame. He had felt looked down on unloved, unlovable, and in the moments that he heard the words, you are a child of God. He shed those feelings. He started anew. It changed his life. It changed his mindset. He found his place. He found love. He found inclusion. He found welcoming. He found belonging. And isn't that what we all want? Don't we all want to know in our souls that we are valued, that we are appreciated, that we are wanted or loved, that there is in the community a place, a place for us? Friends, that kind of love is not always easy to find in this world, amen? And as much as we as churches, are called to offer a different kind of welcome and including and love, we often fail at that. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about that reality. Jesus, Jesus was an includer. He was keenly aware of those who others did not see or refused to see. Jesus was aware of those who were overlooked or worse yet, were being excluded because of something about who they were. He looked for those whose society ignored or left out or even oppressed. Now, in Luke's gospel, among all of the four gospels, we probably see these constant reminders and glimpses of this more than than in the others, where Jesus was doing this. And today's text that I just read for you, that's a perfect example from it. Um, Do y'all listen to podcasts? I I love this podcast called Awesome Etiquette. Do any of the rest of you listen to that? Okay, I'm the only nerd that listens to Awesome Etiquette, but that's okay. You'll listen to it now. Um, By the Emily Post Institute. And um, in some way, when I read this text, the first part, that parable, felt like a page from an etiquette book for when you go to a party. But as Jesus always does, he turns an etiquette lesson into an insight of what the kingdom of God is and what it looks like. So while they're all getting settled at the dinner party, Jesus notices something. He notices how guests were clamoring for the seats of honor the best seats in the house, much like I noticed y'all do this morning, right? Apparently, there were no name cards at the table, so it became a bit of a free-for-all, people scrambling to get the good seats. And these days, it might be like, have you ever gone to a banquet or to a party or something like that, and, um, and, then, and, and you pick out your seat, right? Y'all have done this. You maybe fold a chair up and lean it against the table. Have you done that? Now, um, I'm going to give you a little helpful hint of what I find for holding my place that's useful. When I go to a place, if there's silverware rolled up in a linen napkin, I'll shake the silverware out and mess up the napkin and put it down. Then anybody who comes to that seat will go, Ooh, somebody's grimy hands were all over the silverware. It's a win. Just a helpful hint from Uncle Wade. I'll give those when I can. So, so the story we have today is really Jesus' twofold response to what he's seeing people do as they arrive for the party. And it does kind of feel in the first part like an etiquette book. When you go to a feast, don't grab those seats of honor first because somebody more distinguished than you is going to show up for the party and your host is going to come to you and tell you to move so that that person can sit there and the only seats left will be the cheap seats and you'll be disgraced you'll be humiliated. Instead, he encourages, go take that low seat first and think about how awesome it's going to be when the host comes to you and says, listen, why don't you move up to one of these better seats? And Jesus says, in doing this, then you will be honored in front of the guests. That's pretty good advice. But you know Jesus, he's not going to leave it right there. He delivers a punchline. And here's the punchline. It goes like this. He says, for all who are exalted, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. The exalted will be humbled. The humble will be exalted. Another way that we might say it today is that the high will be brought low and the low will be brought high in the kingdom of God. Humility was kind of a rare thing in that culture, maybe ours as well. But Jesus is making the point that humility is a mark of a Jesus follower. So following Jesus means more than just avoiding embarrassment of having to go to the cheap seats at the party. You see, Jesus is showing them that there's a priority switch, a priority switch that is required. And often that means how we see and handle others. So that's the first response. What was the second response? Well, he pushes it even further. He goes over to the host himself. And this isn't a parable. He's just giving flat, right out uh, uh, um, advice to him. And uh, when he speaks to him, he's speaking to that guy. Why do we see him speak to that guy? Well, because that guy is the one who holds the most power. He's the host. He holds the most power. He is the one who um, uh, is the one who has the control in that moment. And being the person with the most power and the most control, he gives advice um, to the host that undermines this grappling for status and position and power at the risk of other folks. However they came to have their position or their privilege in the moment, he speaks to it. He teaches, he says, don't invite the obvious people. You know, your family, your friends, the rich folks in town, because you'll get some payback later. That's not the motivation. He said instead, Jesus calls for inclusion of those who could never return the favor, those who may not be invited to any party, those who cannot return an invitation. And just so folks don't wonder who those people are, Jesus names names. He says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Why that group? Why did he point out those folks? Well, because in the Greco-Roman society of that moment, these were the ones who they left out. These were the ones of their community who were the most marginalized the ones who were forgotten these are the ones whose society just refused to see they were discarded they were not welcomed and when we read the stories of Jesus throughout the bible who do we see him hanging out with who do we see him reaching for those folks and don't miss that little bit that Jesus tags on the end about what it's like when we include folks. He said, when you do that, there's reward. Reward. You will be blessed because they cannot repay you. That's a different kind of blessing, isn't it? They will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's coming in the end, right? Jesus' followers who seek to live out a value of inclusion of the most marginalized Their actions mirror Jesus' own vision of an inclusive kingdom, filled, well, God's house is filled, and God's banquet's available to all. So with that backdrop, I'm going to talk a little bit about the fifth of six core values um, that we are using to frame our lives here at Trinity, and this one is people. People matter to God, so people matter to us. There are a lot of scriptures that speak to this value. It's all over the place. A couple of examples. Look over in Genesis at the very beginning of time where we see creation. We read in Genesis that humans, you and I, human was created in the image and the likeness of God. In the very image and likeness of God. And because of that, it reminds us that every human is one of sacred worth to God. We're also reminded of being set free from human society, categorizing people and putting them into groups of those who are more important and those who are less important. From the Apostle Paul, when he taught the church over in Ephesus, writing this, um, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. What was Paul doing? He was doing the same thing that Jesus was doing in the parable. He's naming names. And in that moment, there were those that he named that were marginalized, that were not accepted, that were not seen, that were pushed to the edges. Same thing. I will tell you that this value, this core value, is hard. And I will suggest that it might very well be one of the hardest of our six core values. Why? Because we live in a difficult time around making decisions about who's in and who's out, who we will embrace and who we will push away. It's popular to exalt ourselves with the technique of being peril to others. The technique of, if if I can push others down, it'll raise me up. This value asks us to step outside of comfortable groupings. It asks us to, to step aside from our feelings about them. Whoever the them is for you, right? Do you all know, do you know that there are a lot of folks who are absolutely frightened of churches? That there are people who have been hurt because of churches, find themselves unsafe to be in a church, feeling like reaching for Jesus through a church community would never be possible for them? It's hard for us to imagine because for the most part, we're a pretty homogenous group and we kind of all fit in here. But we want to be a church that is a place where anyone, anyone could come to know Jesus, rediscover, reconnect with Jesus, and know that it is a community that is safe, that is welcoming, and then includes them as well. So what does it look to be it look like to be a church like that? Well, in our core value, our team wrote that out. And you know what we did? We named names. Name names just like Paul did, just like Jesus did. Because at any time in history, there are those who need to hear them called out as being persons we will include. And so we have said that here at Trinity, people of every age and experience, people in the LGBTQ community, people who have different abilities, persons of color, people from uh, every socioeconomic status, and then kind of the blanket of any other identity that society wants to define. So we want to have a safe, welcoming environment for all, especially those who the Christian church has traditionally left out, looked over, and sent the message that they are not otherwise welcome or included. We want to meet people where they are, We want to be a church that designs practices that will ensure that people can fully engage, are welcome, and can participate in a journey with Jesus. And as I've said, this value might be one of our steepest climbs here at Trinity. But you know what, y'all? I believe in us. Do you believe in us? I believe in us. This value has named names that may make you feel uncomfortable. In fact, may have named some names that are a bit of a trigger for you. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. And one of the things that I've, that, that I've understood is that we live in societies that have formed and shaped us to have beliefs and convictions about them, whoever them is, those people, as we often say. But how often we forget that every single person is beloved by God. Every human is a life of sacred worth. And yet the Christian church has forgotten this, has not always been welcoming or making the church a safe place to explore a relationship with Jesus and feel like being a part of a community of faith. So this value, Let me frame it this way. This value is not asking you to change beliefs or convictions or positions that you've had on some things. It may happen, but this value is asking for you to make a change, and that change is to make a change in priority, that we would put a higher priority on being that welcoming, including place of all people, no matter who they are or where they come from, so that they can discover Jesus, explore a relationship with Jesus, can grow in grace right along the side of the rest of us in an authentically welcoming community to put people as a higher priority than our personal position. Does that make sense? That's That's the ask. Now, there are some that we have named when we named names that, thank God, don't require us to wrestle with our beliefs or convictions. It just requires us to pay attention. To recognize, to to make shifts in our practices that will be inclusive to all. I want to give you an example of how right here at Trinity, we are already working this core value. Now, you probably remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Kim had put out invitation for two different meetings where people could come and explore what it would be like to live this core value out um, as we engage in ministries with persons with disabilities, um, I want to say thanks if you participated in that, and um, Pastor Kim was really, really encouraged uh, throughout of that. And as I understand, there was a mix of, of people there. There were those who, um, who were there because they were personally affected or experienced a disability, but there were also persons who came who wanted to be allies, who wanted to make sure that we made this inclusion in the life of the church. And that's what we began to happen. So these conversations were helpful in so many reasons. Obviously there's the overt things that we know that we do that keep people out. But but there was a, something else that was discovered in that. And that is um, that, that there are these moments where we inadvertently um, put up these barriers. So, Let me tell you one specific story. There was a woman who joined that conversation by Zoom on the Zoom version of that story. And Pastor Kim realized and met her and she told her that she comes from a state out west. Googling for churches, found our church and then checked out our website and with her devices found it to be an accessible website. And then our worship services found them to be accessible as well and really encouraged us around that. But she also shared with us, there are moments that it's difficult for me as a person who's blind. For example, you all play a lot of videos and show a lot of slides that have beautiful music, words on the screen, but what about a person who can't see? Right? Well, as we began to think about that, um, that's why Pastor Kim gave a description of the Love the 614 video. We would also, because they can imagine what that looks like. And then later on, we have another video where there's a voiceover so that that can be heard. That's an immediate response that will include someone else, removes a barrier. And that's what we want to be about. People matter to God, so people matter to us. So that brings us to this table. Um, Chris, if your team wants to go ahead and get ready for some music, that's perfectly fine. Um, Brings us to this communion table today. Y'all, look at this table. Is there a better image for what um, our lives of faith can look like than this, than this table of, commun- uh, of communion? But you see, there's something about the communion table. Um, I say it over and over again, but I like to say that the communion table is a great leveling agent. It's a leveling agent. Um, at the Lord's table... There are no seats of honor, so there's no good seats and cheap seats, not at the Lord's table. At the Lord's table, we all see, eye to eye, all at the same level, as sacred worth children of God. At the Lord's table, the exalted, the exalted are humbled, and the humble are exalted. The Lord's table gives us a glimpse, the Lord's table gives us a taste of the kingdom of God that Jesus inaugurated, of what can be. So the invitation is to come today, to come to this table. Maybe you've noticed that there's, a, there's a, not a matching set of seats around this table. Our hope is that when you look at this table, you could find a chair that says you're included. And that you have a seat a seat at the table whether whether you're a person that feels more exalted or one that feels like you're more humble when you sit on that seat it's going to change and it'll all be the same my friends here at trinity it is my prayer and my hope that as we come and receive communion today that we'll mark this moment in our history and we'll say this was the beginning of embedding a core value where all people are welcome, all are valued, all are included, and all come to know Jesus. Because people matter to God and people matter to us.